0: Hi, and welcome back to Grand Rounds with Dr. Tammy. We have had several podcasts exploring different facets of the locum's lifestyle, which included benefits, downfalls, and even the financial side. But I was curious about what it would be like to work outside the U.S. as a physician. So I reached out to locumstory.com, and they were kind enough to put me in touch with Dr. Rachel Consoli, who has traveled just the entire globe as an OBGYN provider. Welcome to the show, Dr. Consoli.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here and excited to speak with you this morning.
0: I am too. Your story just sounds so fascinating. I can't wait to hear all about it. (laughs) Thank you. I understand you're in South Korea right now and you're, what, 14 hours ahead of me in Kansas City. Is that right?
1: That is correct.
0: (laughs) Well, how did you end up in South Korea?
1: So, it's actually a very simple story. I do a lot of volunteer work with the American Medical Association in different committees and the Massachusetts Medical Association in different committees and ACOG, Massachusetts, et cetera. And a friend of mine had said, oh, in the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, there was an advertisement for a job to help the Department of Defense, the US military, for physicians with a lot of experience. And he said, it sounds just something like you would love. And so sure enough, in my JAMA <laughs> issue of that month, there it was. And so I I applied and it's through the Department of Defense and through the U.S. military. And I was assigned the army because they had a desperate need for experienced OBGYNs. And they gave me a choice of Japan, Italy, Germany or South Korea. And I chose South Korea because my sister actually works at Osan Air Force Base as a DoDEA teacher. And that's about an hour away from the hospital where I'm at Camp Humphreys, which is the army hospital here in South Korea. And so that's how I came to South Korea. And sure enough, they really do need physicians with experience because can you imagine? So I've been a physician 27 years and my 27 years is more than all of the other three OBGYNs experience put together. So, So, yes, I do have more experience than all of them. It's fun, though, because, you know, in Boston and other places, working with medical students and residents and PA students and nurse practitioner students. So it's fun to teach. It's fun to share. And I'm learning new things as well, because some of them right at a residency have new thoughts and they're from different parts of the country. So they have different ways of doing things. So I'm also learning, of course, we're always learning. So it's been a wonderful experience thus far in the few months I've been here.
0: Well, I understand that you had a circuitous course to get to being an OB-GYN and you started out doing something else. Can you tell us a little bit about your background there?
1: Yes, I did a combination residency, family medicine and ER. I was an ER physician for 10 years and my father is both emergency medicine and internal medicine. So that's where I kind of got that love for emergency medicine. I'm dating myself here, but when I finished medical school, the show ER was out. And so it was kind of cool to be an ER doctor because you were like George Clooney. And I loved ER. So (laughs) I did ER for 10 years and loved it, loved every minute of it. But I have to tell you in my heart, there was still a hole and something was still missing. And I was like, what is going on? What am I supposed to do? I just remembered like when I was in fourth grade, I had written this autobiography and I said I wanted to do OBGYN. And since I was a little kid, I always want to do OBGYN, deliver babies, do cool surgeries. So all of a sudden I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back and do that. So after 10 years of being an attending in the emergency room, I went back and did an OBGYN residency starting from day one, and yes. which actually was fun because as an intern, you have just as long as you do your work, you're okay. So I thought, wow, this is great. No one comes and asks me questions. (laughs) Everyone just (laughs) assigns me work. So anyways, so I did a whole OBGYN residency. And since then I've also done two subspecialties. I am also board certified by ACOG in pediatric and adolescent gynecology surgery. And also I did a year of postgraduate work in robotic surgery on the Da Vinci robot in Pennsylvania. So, I've done that and it's just been a wonderful career. I've had just the nicest experience and met the best people, and I have the most wonderful patients. I really have to tell you that.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. So, have you always done locums or did you start out with a base of operations? How did you get to be doing what you're doing now?
1: Yes. So, didn't even know locums existed at first, right? Of course. So, right out of medical school, residency. But during residency in the ER, actually, we had a locums group come and speak to us. And I thought, wow, this is the most amazing thing because I love traveling. When I was a little child, my dad, who I said is a physician, he took us to the Caribbean, to the Dominican Republic and Haiti. So I grew up traveling there and different places. And I always just like that, like going someplace new, having a new experience, meeting new people, new culture of the hospital. So I started doing locums actually very early on in my career, even when I was first out of residency, working in an emergency room near Appleton, Wisconsin. I did locums around Wisconsin. I just really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the fact that you can go to a new place, meet new people. It's almost like taking a vacation, right, from your job. But then I realized you could do this full-time, number one. And then number two, I realized some groups like Global Medical Staffing, who are fabulous. I mean, they are just wonderful they actually do locums internationally so i've been with them to us virgin islands i've been with them to guam i they have we've been with them to with australia new zealand they're fabulous so i just enjoy traveling i enjoy having a new experience so i kind of keep a base in boston so my beautiful hospital mass general brigham salem hospital in boston i kind of keep a base there i always come back there and they're always so lovely to me, welcoming me and allowing me to have a job every time I come back to Boston. But whenever I'm traveling, they're always supportive of me. And so it's been a, it's been thus far 27 wonderful years.
0: <laughs> that is amazing. Do you speak multiple languages?
1: So because I, I grew up in the Dominican Republic, I do speak Spanish fluently which I have to tell you, the shock of my life, when we first went to the Dominican Republic, I was a little kid. So I was like, oh, to, I can't understand anyone. Because when I was little, we didn't have Dora the Explorer. So there was no <laughs> no Dora. So I didn't know any Spanish, nothing. So I learned Spanish. But I have to tell you, I have used Spanish every almost every day of my life since I've been a physician. And even here in South Korea on the U.S. Army base, There are spouses of active military duty who only speak Spanish. And I'm like, wow, even in South Korea, I'm speaking Spanish. (laughs) So, yes, I speak Spanish. And then my father is Italian and his parents, who are from Italy, lived with us when I was a child. So I also speak Italian. I do speak Italian, Spanish and English. I wish I spoke more languages. I can probably say hello and thank you in probably 25 different languages. But hello and thank you can only get you so far.
0: When you've traveled to different locations, is there a huge difference in technology, medications, culture of medicine? What has been the biggest thing that you've found in that realm going to different places?
1: So I've been to very drastically different areas of the world, such as South Sudan. I was there for one year with CMMB. And they're a group, a nonprofit group, an NGO out of New York, and CMNB in South Sudan had me there for one year working on Safe Motherhood Project, which was to decrease the maternal mortality rate, because South Sudan had the highest maternal mortality rate in 2015 in the world. And so I went there for one year, and I was in the area of South Sudan called Ezo, E Z O, that actually has the highest maternal mortality rate of South Sudan mainly because of malaria and HIV and mainly because it's right on the border of the Congo and Central African Republic. So we had a lot of refugees. And I would say there is there. So that was a great challenge for me because basically I had my brain and my hands and they did have medications like general antibiotics they did have they did ship in CMNB did ship in a lot of medicine for HIV which I was so grateful and for malaria which I was so grateful but like for example when i had a lady with a you know cervical cancer and our OR is just a room with a cement slab and they did have instruments CMNB had sent some basic instruments for open abdominal slash pelvic surgery, just really challenging my abilities. So that's like, that's one extreme. And then when I was, for example, in Guam at the public hospital, they had basic, basic, basic supplies for just about everything. However, certainly the technology was behind. Here, for example, in South Korea, because I'm at a U.S. Army base, they do have a Da Vinci robot, which shocked me. I'm so happy that we have my little <laughs> robot back, my Da Vinci robot. So the technology, like, for example, in Boston, it's just so top notch. And I have to say the culture in Boston, as far as serving our patients from every point of view, from like the nursing staff to the nursing supervisor, to the physicians, to the medical students, the residents is really just so engaging and top notch that it really is an incredible comparison. When I travel in Thailand, in the mountains of Northern Thailand, there was basically a shack with table and chairs. And that's where we saw patients. And to do C-sections and surgeries, they actually had a shack with a tarp on it. And that's where we did emergency C-sections and emergency hysterectomies and emergency DNCs. And we did have instruments that they had sent along with me. It's been a very varied, very varied throughout the world as far as the abilities and the resources. However, I feel like where there's so the way there's a lot of resources, of course, there's a lot of great technology. So your brain is working on that because, oh, the new technology and the Da Vinci robot and all this stuff. However, also where there's no resources or very little resources, also your brain is working full speed because you're trying to think, what can I do with what I have? Like I used an IV tubing to put an NG tube down a pregnant lady who had a GI intestinal obstruction. So like, to use what you have like just okay what can i use to decompress her stomach and oh, so those kind of things so it's been and to use any type of suture for anything that's a challenge too right so it's been an incredible mind using career
0: <laughs> i can't even imagine thinking about your patients in thailand where you said you know it's basically a tent and a table were you able to give them anesthesia for those procedures how did that work
1: so in thailand like in mongolia like in South Sudan, like in Uganda, like in Kenya. Basically, it's just me. There's no anesthesiologist or anesthetist or anyone. So we would put an IV in and thank goodness I did have in those places, we did have some sedatives or hypnotics like Bursad or ketamine, especially in South Sudan. For some reason, we had a lot of ketamine IV. So I would sedate the patient. I would have someone just sitting beside the patient and I'd say, now watch them. I would teach them how to check their breathing, check their, and if they needed more to Give a little more while I was operating on the patient. So it's in places like that, I've been the one, unfortunately, to give the anesthesia. I wish I had an anesthetist or an anesthesiologist there to help me out. So, yes, it's been mostly just IV. But I have to say, human beings are so strong. Like, even in South Sudan, I would do a hysterectomy on someone with just some ketamine, and then they'd wake up, and all we had was like Tylenol and ibuprofen. And I'd go the next morning to see them, and I'd say, how are you doing? And they'd say, OK, little bit pressure. And I was thinking, my gosh, little bit of pressure. I'd be <laughs> on the floor screaming, right. <laughs> but so strong. So human beings are very strong, I have to say. <laughs>
0: Does it make it hard to come back to mass gen and think anybody ever needs Dilaudid? I know,
1: right? <laughs> right? <laughs> Here's That's a so Tylenol, you'll be it, fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is difficult. But I mean, of course, the whole thing is like that countercultural shock, right? Sure. So, I mean, the first time I ever felt that was like when I was a little kid and we came back from being in the Dominican Republic, living with no running water and no electricity, then coming back to Boston and my school and kids are saying, oh, I don't like this moose. I'm so upset that I bought this moose. I wanted this gel for my hair. And I'm thinking, <laughs> gel and mousse? what are you talking about? <laughs> There's people that don't even have electricity and running water like me for the past three years. My mom is a really she is a teacher by profession. So she would just say, like, you know. It's a different culture. So they're not used to it. If they went and lived without running water electricity, they wouldn't be speaking about hair moose and gel either. You have to be open minded and you have to understand we're going from culture to culture. So actually, for me now, I don't even feel it. Like I don't when I go back to Boston, I don't feel like, oh, so privileged. I never feel that. I just feel like, wow, we are so lucky here in Boston. You know, so that's funny. how more I feel.
0: Before you went to the places like you were talking about, Thailand, Sudan, did you realize that you were going to be it? You were going to have to do your own anesthesia. You were going to have to do everything. Or was it shock the first time that it happened to you?
1: For South Sudan, I did know. I did know that I would be the only one there and I would be the only OBGYN, the only physician for like 100,000 people. So that I knew. However, I have to tell you, you never realize what that really means until you're there in the middle of it. <laughs> I can't even you know imagine. What I mean? Yeah. Because you think, like, oh, okay, I'll start an IV. Okay. Well, I did ER for 10 years, so I can start an IV anywhere on anyone, no problem. And you think you're like, you know, okay, I'm all right. But then you get there and there's like a little dehydrated lady you have to do an emergency hysterectomy on, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is just me here. So I had once a great attending in Pennsylvania. His name is Dr. Smalley, and he's an MFM. And once he told me, he said, Rachel, when we're here in the OR, he said, the buck stops with you. He said, so you have to resolve for this patient. And that's always stayed in my head. So even when I'm like in really difficult situations, I think, Rachel, the buck stops with you. You have to resolve for this patient because there's no one else and it's you. And that's it, kid. So you start to think outside the box really quickly.
0: <laughs> I'm amazed. I don't know that I would have the confidence to do what you've done just medically, socially, any of it, I think it would be terrifying, exciting, but terrifying at the same time.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Have you always felt safe in the places that you've gone?
1: Interestingly enough, I would say no matter what people tell me about a place, oh, it's dangerous, this, that, the other thing. I do have to say like the people that I'm usually with, like, so example, the staff of the hospital or the clinic, or the people that I'm traveling with, yes, I do feel safe. However, there are different episodes or experiences that I've had that I realized, oh, wow, this was not as safe as I thought. For example, in South Sudan, I was kidnapped for one day by rebels. Oh my I had God. just, it was, yeah, it was a Sunday and I had gone to the local church just to as a social community type of thing. When I was walking home from the church, I said, oh, let me walk this other way. I've never been this other way. So I get a little more exercise. As I was walking, I went into, quote unquote, the rebel territory without knowing. There's no signs that say this is rebel territory. So (laughs) I didn't know. So a young boy, like 17 years old, said, stop walking. Are you a spy? And I thought, what? So I said, am I a spy? Of course not. And then he said, stop walking. And I said, you're not the police. I don't have to listen to you. And so I kept walking. And then he came with a huge machine gun and he pointed at me and he said, now you'll stop. And I said, yep, now I will stop. They kidnapped me for a day. The local bishop negotiated to have me released. They asked me to go to the U.S. Embassy and ask for money. And I said, "Okay, sure, I'll do that for you. But I mean, just to be released and be safe. But so I was kidnapped for a day there. And different times in different places, you know, people have asked in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So it should be very safe in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I had a kid come up to me with a stick and tell me to give me my purse. So I just started screaming, get away from me. So he got scared and he ran away. But that was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So which is a very safe place. So anywhere you go, plus or minus safety, it's human beings. And sometimes human beings do desperate things in desperate situations. But I have to say, overall, I like to have the mindset like I could die in my hometown of little old Melrose, Massachusetts from some unsafe, crazy thing, just as much as some place like that is truly unsafe, like. South Sudan or in a rebel town in someplace else. However, I have to say, usually I felt very safe just because the local people usually protect me because they know I'm there just to help them. And so I have to say throughout the world, especially women, like when I was in India, there was a situation where it was very unsafe. There was a group of men and they were being very inappropriate. And I just walked over to a group of women and I kind of said, like, can I sit here with you? And they protected me. They've screamed at those guys, told them to leave me alone and go away. So I have to say throughout the world, local people, especially women, have been extra protective of me. I have felt safe. Yes.
0: That's phenomenal. And one of the articles that Locum Story sent to me about you talked about a village in Alaska where you helped develop an entire department to help the northernmost city in the U.S. Can you tell me about that?
1: Yes, so that's a, fun, that's a fun experience. So I was invited by Global Medical Staffing again to go to Barrow, Alaska, which is now called Utkiewik, Alaska, and it is the most northern point of North America. It's more than 350 miles inside the Arctic Circle. They have a native hospital there and the family medicine physicians that are there do some of the low risk deliveries but the poor native women have to travel at like a month before they deliver down to Anchorage and then stay a month after. So they're two months away from their families to deliver a baby. So they invited me to go there and to start the first ever OBGYN department. So we went there, unfortunately, you know, COVID happened. And so they couldn't build the operating room while I was there to do C sections up there. However, there is an emergency C-section kit, which we use and in the ER, in the trauma room, if we need to do an emergency C-section. However, we did start a lot of OBGYN cool stuff. Like we started a preventive medicine pap smear program, LEAP program, a colposcopy program, breast cancer preventive program. And I saw lots and lots of pregnant ladies, and we delivered them there at the hospital because I felt comfortable delivering high-risk patients even, because, of course, we do have that emergency C-section kit if we needed it. We did Cs there. So, yes, I started the ob department there, and I was there 18 months, and it was a spectacular experience. I got to try, for the first time in my life, meat both raw and cooked and whale blubber and seal meat. and caribou meat. So I had never tried that in my whole life. I've tried scorpions and I've tried termites, but I had never tried whale. And so that was a spectacular experience. The staff up there are heroic. Those family medicine physicians that are up there are just heroes. They're heroes because they have very little resources and dealing with a very difficult climate and a difficult social situation. And they are just amazing. So I admire them. My head comes off to all those family medicine physicians up there in Barrow, Alaska.
0: And do they still send locums docs up there to manage the clinic?
1: So there is a family medicine physician still there, yes. And there's an anesthesiologist who goes up there still. There's ER physicians that go there and pediatrician that still goes there. They still now, since I left, unfortunately, have to send back the OB patients back down to Anchorage. Unfortunately, I made a promise with them as soon as they build that operating room, I will go back there and I will work there again because it was a fun experience. However, unfortunately, because I'm not there, they have to send all the OB and GYN cases to Anchorage.
0: Well, darn it. And I understand you have a claim to
1: fame. <gasps> <gasps> Well, thank you for asking. I'm so happy to share it. <laughs> so, you know, when you're at these huge groups, you know, like, for example, when you're teaching with residents and medical students and even just groups of physicians that come together and like, I don't know, the American Medical Association or there's always like icebreakers or whatever you go on the table, say something that no one knows about you. So thank you for asking. So I always say that my uh, claim to fame is that I've delivered a baby on every continent except Antarctica. So that's my claim to fame.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. And is that on your bucket list? How's that going to work out for you?
1: Funny story. So I have a brother who actually was in Antarctica as a hiking guide and he actually told me, "Oh, there's only researchers there and if someone becomes pregnant, they actually ask them to leave because it's they feel there's no position there for them to take care of them or OB-GYN." So what I was going to do is I was going <laughs> to go to Argentina, which is the most southern point there just before you get to Antarctica. I was going to go to Argentina grab a lady who's nine months pregnant, who's about to deliver and will rush to Antarctica, deliver the baby and then leave.
0: I think I'm too old to get pregnant, but I would love to do that with you.
1: I'd volunteer if I could. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Well, if anyone wanted to explore international locums, do you have any words of advice for them?
1: Yes. My words of advice are go for it. Be courageous. Just do it. It has been the most fulfilling aspect of my life to travel all over the United States, all over the world. And locum groups, the ones I've worked with, I've had the privilege of working with, have been wonderful. They take care of just about everything, housing, travel. They help you with your paperwork for licenses for DEA. They help you with everything and also very supportive. Everyone writes me emails from especially different places I've been from the locums companies. How is it going? Are you okay? Do we need to send you anything? I've only had wonderful experiences with global medical staffing, Delta locums, different ones that I've used. I've used others as well, and they've just been spectacular. So go for it. Be courageous. You can do it. And I think the end result, you'll be so happy because it's so fulfilling to go someplace new and work in a new hospital, new culture, new people, new food, new everything. And of course, give of yourself. So it's a wonderful experience.
0: I can't even imagine how many lives you've touched over the years.
1: Thank you. Thank you. you.
0: (laughs) How many babies have you delivered? Do you have any idea?
1: Yes, I do, actually. So recently I was asked to Gather the information of how many babies I had delivered. So I had to go back, of course, 27 years almost. So I've delivered before I came to South Korea. I had the number and it was verified by the hospital, different hospitals, all the hospitals I worked at confirming it. It took about a year to get all this information gathered. So I've delivered 12,100 babies before I came to South Korea. And Here, I've delivered thus far 10 babies. So my total is 12,110 babies. Oh, my (laughs) God.
0: That is amazing.
1: (laughs) Yes, thank you. So a whole village. (laughs)
0: Oh, that's true. That's bigger than my hometown.
1: (laughs) Yes, 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 I know. And I like to say to, of course, in the United States, when I deliver a baby or even here with American parents, I always say, if your child becomes the president of the United States, please invite me for the inauguration to the White House because I want to be on TV in a pretty dress. And I want them to say this lady delivered the president of the United States. I want (laughs) to wave on TV. Everyone keeps saying yes. So I'm waiting for the day to get the call from the White House.
0: (laughs) That might not even be the White House. It could be the president of 100 countries, it sounds like. That's right.
1: That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Correct.
0: (laughs) Dr. Consoli, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. You are probably the most fascinating person I've ever talked with. So thank you. Oh, my
1: goodness. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure and I've had a lot of fun.
0: Oh, I bet. Well, I'd also like to thank locumstory.com. They were the ones who put us in touch with each other. And I just wanted to give a little shout out to them. If anyone was looking at doing locums, it's a free website, informational website, just where you can learn more about the locum's lifestyle. And I don't think they're even there to sell anything. It's more information. And I'd like to thank all my listeners. Thanks for taking the time to tune in this week. And I hope you'll join us next week for Grand Rounds.